0: Bankless Nation, welcome to the very last weekly roll-up of the year. Happy Friday morning to you. I hope you're drinking your cup of coffee while we cover the entire weekly news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, which is why I've pulled in my dear friend, Anthony Sizano to sub in for Ryan while he is getting his software updates for 2023. <laughs> Anthony! Welcome to the Bankless Weekly Rollup. Hey, David. Thanks
1: for having me today. I love how you say Ryan's getting a software update just because there's that meme that he's actually a robot because no one had seen him before. I think permissionless, right? Like, was where everyone actually saw him for the first time. But yeah, yeah including myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good meme and it's stuck pretty damn well. Uh, anyways, uh, Ryan, like I said, uh, he's actually out on vacation enjoying some some well earned breaks with wife AI, child AI. Uh, <laughs> so we're pulling in Anthony Sazano to, to sub in. for for his help so anthony thank you for for helping us walk through the news are uh, you ready to do it yeah let's go here All right. So last weekly roll-up of the year, Bankless Nation, we are going to talk with some year-end market talk. We got roughly about 10 times the amount of charts that we usually do on a weekly roll-up. So we're going to walk through the year's winners, the year losers, and what the snapshot in time is going into 2023. So that's going to come up first, an extra large market section, some candy to end the year with. Uh, Coming in in second, got to talk about the state of Solana. Everyone is talking about it on crypto Twitter right now. So we're going to discuss that. Uh, And then lastly, we're going to talk about the state of layer twos because a report out of Bankless from our analyst Ben just came out and there's always a bull market somewhere. So we're going to talk about the state of layer twos. Bankless Nation, you know the deal. Please like and subscribe, rate and review wherever in the metaverse you are listening to this content. That is how we get crypto back onto the top of the iTunes uh, business and investing charts. And before we get to all of that topics, first, we get to have to give a shout out to our strategic sponsor for 2023, Kraken. You guys know Kraken. Kraken has been the exchange since 2011. And why have they stuck around since 2011? Well, because they've prioritized things like security and transparency and actually servicing their customers well. Uh, And so that's how they've been able to stick around for such a long time, for actually being true to the ethos of crypto and helping the crypto industry blaze paths forward into the frontier of the world of crypto after all of the insolvencies of 2023, having a secure and transparent exchange is no longer just a nice-to-have feature. It's probably a be a base requirement of your exchange of choice. We definitely need secure ch- exchanges to get our money from the old world into the new world, and Kraken is helping us do that. Uh, thank you for Kraken for being Bankless's tr- strategic sponsor for 2023. Visit kraken.com bankless if you want to upgrade your exchange. All right, Anthony, are you ready to get into the markets? Uh, Let's start with Bitcoin, of course. Uh, Bitcoin started the week at the high, high price of $16,800, ending the week at the low, low price of $16,600, down 1%. Anthony, any takes on Bitcoin?
1: No, I mean, this range that Bitcoin and ETH have both been in uh, is just hilarious to me because, I mean, it is the. Uh, Christmas period right and we're going to be seeing very low volatility around this and then you see these wicks on the chart of people just trying to kind of uh, rec shorts and rec longs and it's just like this b- little bit of a ping pong going on but yeah volatility is is very very low right now mm-hmm. uh, and this range kills both bears and bulls i think when i look at this stuff it reminds me of 2019 or i guess like parts of 2019 where we just kind of ranged forever and 20 20- and probably even 2020 and people are getting really frustrated with it like oh my god starved for volatility and typically you see people go down the risk curve in that in that environment which is kind of funny in a bear market to see people going down the risk curve but yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because I think this time around we, we have NFTs, right? Where, where people mm-hmm. kind of seek refuge in NFTs and that's why we see some NFTs still popping off even though ETH and BTC are like sideways. Basically, and everything else is basically dumping. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic to see how people will move between different markets because they're, they're kind of like starved, right? And you, you okay. go where the food is, so to speak.
0: Yeah. And when there's no volatility in the blue chips like Bitcoin and Ether, when that that range gets really, really compressed and all of us like monkeys are opening up our price apps and being like, hey, can I get some dopamine? Like, can you do Mm -hmm. anything? Go down even like give me some excitement. (laughs) Uh, And so people's like trading ranges get compressed and compressed and compressed. And so they start to get like more or less more more bearish or more bullish inside of tighter ranges and they start to play tighter trades and it just makes the the field of play like tighter and tighter i remember i think what you're talking about in 2019 was like the bart effect that was just absolutely Mm -hmm. massive in 2019 where it would bart up and then bart down and you could like sometimes just feel a bart coming and (laughs) it's just like oh yeah we just bart it up give it like somewhere between 12 and 18 hours we will bart back down and what BART means, yep. BART is like BART Simpson. Like imagine like the BART head, go straight up, like jag around for a little bit, go straight down, and then you would do that mm-hmm. in reverse. Anyways, <laughs> we're, we digress. ETH price kind of doing the same. Start of the week at 1220 ending the week at 1200 flat, down about 1.9%. And of course, the ETH Bitcoin ratio, uh, pretty damn flat on the week, about half a percent down. Uh, we are at 0. Uh, 0.72 on ETH BTC. Anthony, any comments on ETH BTC? Um, I think it's just continuing
1: to do what it's done all year is remain flat against Bitcoin, which is actually incredibly bullish for ETH, I think. Uh, As people have said on Twitter, I think I've said it as well. uh, Basically, ETH didn't do this last bear market. ETH went straight down against Bitcoin last bear market. It dumped like 90% against Bitcoin, uh, you know, and 94% against USD. But this time around, it's basically flat on the year. We had a bit of a dip mid-year when ETH bottomed in June because of uh, 3AC puking all their ST ETH for ETH and then Selling that ETH um, uh, f- from there, but we bounced back from that, and now we've just kind of stuck in this this range for the whole year, which, as I said, I think is incredibly bullish. There are people calling for ETH BTC to actually nuke, um, maybe next yeah, year or something I've heard like that. that. Too. Oh, I've I've yeah. heard people call for it to nuke like soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been hearing it all year from particular people, but I look at that and I'm like, well, look, if you're just looking at charts, maybe you can come to that conclusion if you're just looking at historical kind of chart data. But the biggest thing for me is the merge. uh, And that's what's affected ETH BTC the most. By removing that sell pressure that we would have had from miners, uh, that's why i believe eth btc is is so strong at least uh and there's other reasons as well but i think that's a core reason and if you're just looking at charts they're not going to show you that charts the the historical charts will just show you ethereum in the proof of work error right it's not going to show you Ethereum in the proof of stake error
0: yeah what do you make of this trend so we have like this very long-term trend from like almost 2019 of eth btc just going up and to the right but then we have the the short-term trend of it, it coming down I am not a TA charter person, any TA person looking at the chart right now is going to cringe. But just what do you what do you make of this like convergence of like kind of short-term bearishness versus long-term bullishness on the ETH BTC ratio? Yeah, I mean, I think since 2020 ETH
1: has really come into its own thing. Uh ETH is viewed a lot more positively by the wider market now. It is still viewed as more risky than BTC though. That's mm-hmm. why you'll see the kind of volatility here and you'll see things sell especially in big sell-offs, you'll see ETH selling off harder than than BTC, but I think more and more people understand the ETH bull case now than they once did. More and more people understand that Ethereum is here to stay or at least maybe not even understand but believe Ethereum is here to stay. Because believe it or not, even up until like the end of 2020 uh, probably after DeFi summer or during DeFi summer, uh, a lot of people didn't believe that Ethereum was going to amount to anything, right? It was still Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Uh, and I think there's a bit of parallels now with with some other things we're going to talk about later. But yeah, that, that's, that's why. Because I think Ethereum just has a much better story now and there's a much better bull case for it than there used to be. And obviously, we just did the episode with... Um with justin drake and, and dc and myself and you guys uh that, that you put live there but i think yeah people, more and more people understand the bull case for ethan ethereum now and, and that's helping there but as well as those kind of flows that i guess hell press originally talked about due to the merge um i think people looked at that and were like oh well eth is not doing very well against usd it's like yeah but that's a bear, that's bear market things, right? In, in a bear mm-hmm. market, nothing's going to do well against USD, right? But look at ETH relative to other assets, and look at its historical performance, and look at its current performance. ETH is trading like it is basically the same risk profile as Bitcoin, which is quite something. That's never been like that before. Nothing's ever traded like Bitcoin before, honestly, in terms of risk profile. Bitcoin was considered by far the safest asset in crypto and was your flight to safety in a bear market. Uh, but that's not the that's not the um that's not the thing anymore.
0: Yeah, so I've got the uh, Missouri chart screeners up, and we are looking at a comparison down from, from all-time highs. Uh, B- uh, Ether, actually, ahead of Bitcoin in terms of down from all-time high by a whopping 0.6%. <laughs> so Ether is down 0.6% less than Bitcoin, which is unheard of compared to, to last cycle. Uh, if you go and inverse this and see who's down the most, of course, we have Terra Luna. Terra Luna, of course, followed by BitTorrent, followed by Lido. Some of the start, some of the starting points of these are all kind of arbitrary, right? Why, why is Zcash down? Technically, hundred percent. Yeah. It will. Yeah. It started off the out at this weird price, but we're going to go into some some winners and losers. Uh, so, but but first, first I want to actually look at Bitcoin and USD in yearly charts. This is the last weekly rollup of the year. And sometimes people forget to zoom all the way out and see what things look like on a yearly basis. And so what I've got on the screen here are both the linear and logarithmic charts for Bitcoin with yearly candles. So each one of those candles that you are seeing is 12 months of time. Uh, And you can obviously just see a secular bull market in Bitcoin unquestionably up and to the right. Like there's actually only two red candles on the screen. Uh, which is kind mm-hmm. of insane, actually. Uh, so one, two, three, four, the first four years of Bitcoin, it was green on the yearly chart. Then uh, in 2016, mm-hmm. no, wait. Oh, well, this is actually isn't the full, the full chart for Bitcoin. Excuse me. Two out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine last years of Bitcoin, only two years have been red. And we are, you know, of course, finishing one right now. Uh, Anthony, what do you make of this, uh, of this chart?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is what people will talk about when they say four-year cycle for for mm-hmm. Bitcoin, right? Where you'll have like uh, some, you know a red year after having a few green years, right? But it's it can be kind of arbitrary. Like you can actually get an, an all-time historical chart for Bitcoin. It's called the uh, the BLX on Trading mm-hmm. View. It's uh, mm-hmm. the Brave New Coin Bitcoin Index, um, and and the four-year cycle is pretty pretty uh, prominent in that. And I understand that because of the halving cycle and all that sorts of stuff. And maybe that's been true in the past, but I, I don't think it necessarily is going to. Be true going forward, um, I have a lot of opinions on Bitcoin that I won't won't give generally <laughs> here, but I, I think that the the comparison here between linear and logs quite important as well. Linear will show you the extent of, I guess, the movements and how wild they can get. You can see on the mm-hmm. linear chart, there's a massive wick for Bitcoin right. in, uh, in 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 2021 there that's come back down, and then you've got, obviously, the red. But the log will give you a better long-term picture and a better smooth picture of what things look like. Uh, and, and traders use both. I've seen traders use linear mm-hmm. a lot, actually, because they like to see, the because they're more short-term oriented, they like to see the pronounced movements there because it'll show you it more violently um like yeah especially on the eth chart right uh but uh but yeah I, I prefer to look at log charts just generally though
0: yeah that that eth chart is even more volatile looking than the than the bitcoin chart but mm-hmm. both charts are just looking absolutely up and to the right of course uh Ether's actually got much more red yearly candles than bitcoin does and, and but um that's also just because this is also picking out ethereum's uh earliest years as well because this one actually does go back to mm-hmm. its, its first year of existence Uh, And then, of course, here is the ETH Bitcoin yearly candles, which also is just up and to the right. So it's it's just important to know that no matter what you look at in crypto, Bitcoin, Ether, Ether, uh, BTC... Uh, things are always up and to the right. Uh, That's not probably true for every single asset. Of course, there are many and many assets that came during the 2013 bull market that aren't around. Same thing with 2017. Mm -hmm. But over time, we're starting to collect more and more assets in crypto that when you zoom out and go into the yearly candles, everything is just up and to the right. Any final comments on these yearly charts before we move on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's also important to, I guess, understand outlier bias here, uh, because yeah. as you said, like there are many, 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 many assets from those previous market cycles that never came back against USD, let alone ETH and BTC. So always good to keep that in mind when looking mm-hmm. at things and trying to say, oh, well, you know, ETH and BTC did this last cycle, it means my favorite asset can come back. It's like, mm, no, that doesn't, <laughs> that's not what it means. There's no guarantee of that. Um, I understand why you would say that, and it's fine to believe that, but don't fool yourself into thinking that that's a guaranteed thing. Thing, right mm-hmm.
0: take a snapshot of the nft markets right now since this is again the last weekly roll-up of the year so to end the year the board ape yacht club climbing in at a 73 eth floor taking the number one spot followed by the crypto punks at 65 eth followed by mutant apes at 15 eth those are the one two and three nft projects to finish the year anthony you want to talk about nfts or you want to keep on moving
1: uh, I mean, I don't pay too much attention to NFTs. I always find it funny watching the spats on Twitter, especially between yeah. the Bored Apes and the CryptoPunks uh, with the floor <laughs> price. I mean, now being quite close, they used to be, you know, quite far apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always find that that kind of entertaining. But yeah, I don't really pay much, too much attention to it generally. It's just not my scene.
0: Yeah, I think the Bored Apes might have actually flipped back over to number one this last week because uh, mm-hmm. CryptoPunks were in the in the lead for the two or three weeks prior to that. But unquestionably, Bored Apes were in the number one spot for the vast majority of 2022. Uh, all right, so we're gonna look at some tradfi. <laughs> we got yeah. Tesla and Amazon on the screen in its charts, absolutely wrecked. Uh, these are some of the. Amazon's going all the way back down to its March of twenty twenty. It's COVID, mm-hmm. uh, COVID mm-hmm. lows, and we are that is where we are now. So imagine that Amazon is back at the same price it was at the bottom of the March COVID lows. Kind of insane. Uh, Tesla is in absolute freefall, coming in at one hundred and twenty three dollars when it used to be almost as high as almost five hundred, but definitely over. 200 for the last uh, almost two years now. Uh, Anthony, any comments on TradFi?
1: Yeah, I mean, the trend here is quite funny because it basically just shows that everything that happened during the COVID period was just funny money, right? Like Mm -hmm. All the assets going up, it was like an everything bubble. But in saying that, if ETH was back at its March 2020 bottom, it'd be ninety dollars, right? right. <laughs> we, we are we are like thirteen X from there, and and right. Bitcoin went back to like you know what was it? like under four thousand or something. So when you look at it like that, crypto, oh, I, mean, I mean, ETH and BTC, not all of crypto, but ETH and BTC right. have done remarkably well, uh, mm-hmm. which is which is quite funny, and you know, it also speaks to that narrative of inflation hedges as well. Like you could still make the argument that, hey, look, Ethan BTC have acted really well as kind of those inflation inflational debasement hedges. Because if you look at stocks, I mean, Amazon is a big ass company that is very, very profitable and is, uh, you know, is growing year on year, but their stock price did nothing the last two years now, uh, looking at this. Tesla's a different story. I think Tesla got way, way overvalued for where it was okay. supposed to be. I mean, I don't have a great read on the stock market, but just doing naive, like price to sales, price to earnings, and, and then pricing that in the future, you can you can see that. But seeing something like Amazon, you know, raise all of its gains from from the, that bottom is, is quite something. And, you know, I, I think that because of that, it makes it makes the market just much more healthier generally too. And I think that that's what the Fed was looking for when, when raising rates. They wanted the market to reset itself to prior to the COVID stuff. Uh, but, you know, we've still got inflation relatively high. We still want to see that come down, all that sorts of stuff. But generally the macro environment is very hard to study because it's not our scene, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. being in crypto, but also it is much more complex, I think, than crypto. It covers so many different things across so many different uh, countries and, and places around the world that it's hard to to see. But yeah, it, it's funny seeing just like Amazon <laughs> erase all of its gains. For, it's like right. something as profitable and as, as
0: big as Amazon erase its mm-hmm. gains. I think there, there's definitely some solace in this because if you weren't going to be a crypto investor, the other asset class that you would probably probably would have invested in is like high growth, high risk tech stocks. And so, mm-hmm. like, they also got wrecked too. So, if you're feeling like wrecked by crypto, well, I mean, if you compare crypto to like tech stocks, it's almost the same. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah. like, th- th- like if you compare I mean, how ETH bad- BTC are relatively like doing so f- right. so bloody well compared to to these other stocks, right? It's just crazy. A hundred percent, yeah. So I've got I've got coin Coinbase's oh, <laughs> equity, uh, <laughs> this, abso- this absolutely wrecked. Uh, coin is down ninety percent. Not even. From the top tick of the 400, almost 440 price that it reached on day one, but of the price it originally came out at at 380, it is down 90% from its original price of $380 down to $34 right now. I kind of think that coin is like a generational buy right now, man. Like it's, it's gotta be worth, I think this makes Coinbase worth seven and a half, eight billion a half, $8 billion. Like that's pretty insane.
1: Mm -hmm. So. My thesis on coin, the reason why I didn't buy it and probably won't buy it still, is that one, it is directly correlated with the health of the crypto market, right? Because Coinbase's revenues 100%. are directly correlated with the. But also, you have coin trading in TradFi world with people who don't understand crypto, right? People do not trade this as if they know what's going to happen with crypto. They do not trade it with the assumption that there's going to be another crypto cycle. They trade it with, right now, coin is trading like crypto is dead because that's what Mm -hmm. TradFi or that's what people outside of crypto believe. So by that measure you like I can't bring myself to buy coin over something like ETH or even I mean I wouldn't buy BTC but like when you compare it to BTC or even some other crypto assets because if coin is going to do well it's going to be when the crypto market's doing well and by the time the world believes the crypto market is doing well there's already been a lot of gains had by both ETH and BTC and other assets that you are still probably going to be better off buying those than coin now that's not investment advice but that's the way I look at it and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon because the TradFi outside of crypto world they find it very hard to understand crypto they're going to trade based on pure marketing narrative just general mainstream noise and we usually see that come when crypto prices are already at the all-time highs like when ethan btc are back to all-time high you know that's when i would suspect some big moves to happen there but uh, yeah i mean that's just, just my general thesis i've had on on coin for a while
0: yeah, that's definitely a fair take. I will also just point out the vast difference between the 7.9 billion dollar market cap of Coinbase right now versus the 220-ish billion dollar market cap of Ether. Like there's there's some alternative risk to reward yeah. there, I'll say.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, yeah, a a, a better, maybe it's a better risk reward play buying coin here than, than buying ETH, depending on your time horizon, depending yeah. on how you look at these things. But I think generally, yeah, coin is d- just looks like to me, like it's trading, uh, like the rest of the world thinks crypto is right. dead, which they do right now.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we got Solana. <laughs> here is the yearly Solana like candles. There's three of them. Uh, and mm-hmm. the first one is a tiny, tiny little green candle. The second one is an absolutely gargantuan green candle with a huge wick all the way up to $280. And then the third candle, where we currently are, is an absolutely gargantuan red candle, which goes all the way back down to the base of the green candle. Uh, we're going to talk about Solana coming up next, so I'll, I'll save some of your takes for for that, Anthony. Uh, but I want to get your take on this one. Uh, this is a tweet from uh, Sour Hog. Last FUD of the day: Soluna Avax traded at six hundred dollars. Uh, Soluna Avax is a index of Soluna Avalanche and, and uh, Solana. I said, said, just said Soluna, Soluna. Solana, Solana, yes. Luna, <laughs> and Avalanche. That yeah. the index traded at six hundred dollars and now is worth twenty one dollars. That is a big oof. Anthony, give me your hot takes. Uh. <laughs> I have Or so should many we save tapes. it for the Solana se- section? No, no, I mean <laughs> I, I
1: I can give one on this on this in particular. Mm-hmm. I, I think people are going to call me an ETH max no matter what I say, so I'm just going to give yeah. my honest takes here. Um this was perpetuated by people who were mercenaries, right? This was perpetuated by 3 Arrows capital. This this meme of Saluna Abax. Uh, which was funny because they didn't really have a sole position, but they had massive Luna and, and AVAX positions. They didn't care about fundamentals. They didn't care about how uh, like uh, Terra was built on a house of cards. They didn't care about Avalanche just being an EVM fork and, and only really having any traction because of the bull market. They, they just cared about making money. And it's kind of an irony that they had so much money that they made and they lost it all. But when, when looking at stuff like this and, and looking at it happening in a bull market, you really need to remember, if you're a first cycle, you won't know this, but next cycle, you need to remember that people pushing this narrative do not care about you at all. All they care about is making money. They don't care about the projects. So I'm not surprised at all to see it come down like this because we already saw this happen last cycle. If you were around for them, we already saw similar things happen. Um, but in terms of speaking to the fundamentals of these projects, yeah, it, it's it's never in line with that. And as we saw, Terra went to zero. Uh, you know, Solana's not having enough great time and no one talks about Avalanche anymore, at least from what I see. So yeah, but anyway, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I haven't seen anyone. Avalanche has not shown up in my feeds either. Although people in the Bankless Discord do say that there's exciting stuff there that I should explore. Uh, something I'm not going to explore, though. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> I, thought, I thought this was pretty pretty funny. So Hex, uh, the Richard Hart's baby, down uh, 97%. Of course, a very polarizing coin on crypto Twitter. Uh, there's definitely an army of hexagons out there that are going to come onto my mentions just because I brought it up. Uh, but I thought I'd just put this tweet out there uh, just because I thought it was pretty funny. Um, we can move on though. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's a here's a uh, take I, uh, or a tweet I want to get your take on. This is uh, Ben. This is the Ben, the analyst over at Bankless, our our, our guy, our, our analyst Ben. Uh, RPL up sixty seven percent against Lido since the November seventh or excuse me November 9th bottom. Interesting. Any takes on uh, RPL versus Lido?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've become so biased recently towards Rockerpool yeah. because... Yeah, we're, we're both Pool maxis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I joined as an ODOW member. Bankless mm-hmm. is already an ODOW member. I've spun up mini pools. I mm-hmm. think the Pool community is so closely aligned with Ethereum. It's it's basically the same community. Um, but my, my, I guess, like most level-headed take here, not not bringing my Pool bias into this is that Lido is already worth a lot, right? And mm-hmm. it kind of has grew really, really quickly. But I think there's a belief in the market now that Lido's growth has topped out, right? At about 30%. And that post-withdrawals, they're actually going to lose a lot of market share due to people reshuffling their ETH around and due to uh, Rockerpool being in a very, very nice position and going to be an even better position around time of withdrawals to grow. So when it comes to LSDs, it's hard to bet on anyone. Uh, and maybe betting on Lido historically has been a good, relatively good bet i guess but yeah i mean rpl the token from what i've seen has been very very resilient it has an actual defined use case within the protocol itself it's not just the governance token um and i think the community is one of the best in crypto uh, so so yeah i mean i am a rocker pool maxi at this point but that's my most <laughs> level-headed take that i can give
0: Yeah, no, I I share those sentiments as well. I I think Lido captured a massive amount of the market and asking Lido to go up 67% is much harder than asking Rocket Pool to go up 67%. Uh, The winner of the year, the best token, the best crypto asset to hold your money in this year was unquestionably GMX. Uh, If we scroll all the way back out to the one-year chart, it is up up on the year, a lot of chop, uh, started at $20, currently ending the year at $42, $43. Uh, so and doubling on the year, uh, but actually most of that doubling happened in the first few months. It was then a flat for the rest of the year. Uh, so congratulations to GMX and all GMX holders because you guys did not lose in 2022, mm. and that made you winners. Uh, here's a chart that I thought was pretty interesting that's actually not the price of a, of a token, but it's actually the price of a stable coin. And this is uh, the chart I saw of Rye. In relation to other us dollar and other fiat currencies uh, and so rye of course is a it's a stable coin in the sense of the word that it's meant to it's a coin that is meant to be stable but not stable to anything in particular uh it is a, it is opposing market forces uh and so how that works it's out of scope for this it just attempts to maintain some sort of soft peg to the us dollar not follow it in particular and if you look at this chart Uh, It's probably the coolest and most simple and most stable asset to hold out of all fiat currencies. Uh, Anthony, what's your take on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like Rye. Um, unfortunately, it has some limitations on it that will that mean that it can't actually grow that mm-hmm. fast and it can't actually be used within DeFi like other stable coins can. Um, and the biggest limitation there is capital inefficiency because you right. have to collateralize it with ETH. And this is why DAI went multicollateral, is because it was very hard to grow with just collateralizing it with ETH. But I think that all of these kind of stable coins, even ones that aren't tied to USD, Uh, specifically tied to USD. I don't know. I feel like long-term, I kind of hope that we get currency, like we just get like ETH that becomes the de facto currency and and we start Mm -hmm. measuring stability against ETH rather than trying to mimic fiat currencies uh because yeah i mean fiat currencies lose purchasing power just like any other currency does but if we have one that can maintain its purchasing power over the long term like something like eth does i think that'd be better but yeah I mean, the, the stable coin stuff is going to be a, a massive kind of thing still going forward and i'm excited to see if rye can actually grow um but but generally yeah it still suffers from the same kind of issues i think
0: that other decentralized stable coins suffered from Yeah, certainly, certainly. All right, Bankless Nation, that is the snapshot of the year in markets, but we got some more conversations ahead. Uh, Next up, we're going to talk about the state of the Solana ecosystem. Uh, It's it's depending on who you ask, it's either in a meltdown or it's moment of solidarity or something. We're going to talk about Solana. Also gonna talk about multi-coin capital and the state of Layer 2s coming up next. But first, a moment to talk about these fantastic tools from our sponsors to help you go bankless. The reality today is that five corporations control the entire world of social media. They own our names, they restrict our content, they monitor our every move, and their time is up. Thanks to our sponsor, DISO. Deeso is a layer one blockchain built from the ground up to decentralize and scale social networks. With DISO, you can own your own identity, content, and social graph, and take it with you across hundreds of applications Already built on the censorship resistant DSO blockchain. DSO's storage advantages make it finally possible to build infinite state applications that can efficiently store. And index large amounts of content and data fully on chain. DESO also offers multiple crypto native monetization primitives for developers and creators, including social NFTs, social DAOs, social tokens, and social tipping. So, in order to experience the social layer of Web3, go to DESO.com and claim your username. That's D E S O.com. If you've been listening to Bankless, you know that we're fans of the modular blockchain thesis. The idea that blockchains will separate execution from data availability and consensus, allowing all three to become the best versions of themselves. And Fuel has built the fastest modular execution layer in the industry. By supporting parallel transaction execution, Fuel unlocks significantly faster throughput for the Web3 world. Fuel also goes beyond the limitations of the EVM with its own Fuel VM which is more efficient and optimized, opening up the design space for developers. And lastly, Fuel brings a powerful developer experience with its own domain-specific language, Sway, and a supportive tool chain called Fork. With Fuel, you can have the benefits of smart contract languages like Solidity while adopting the improvements made by the Rust tooling ecosystem, letting the Fuel development environment go beyond the limitations of the EVM. If you want to learn more, there's a link in the show notes to see how you can get involved with the Fuel network. Bankless Nation, we are back and we are looking at uh, the chart of Solana, which started in May of 2020, about below a dollar. And then in at the top of 2021-2022, it was $270. And now it is $8.36, coming almost full circle to where we are now, down I think something like 94% from all-time highs uh, this is the talk of the town on crypto Twitter right now. Everyone's talking about it. And the, the, the tweet I put out, which I won't read here, is that uh, the Solana community is trying to bolster morale. The ETH community is saying it was vapor all along. The trading community tells me how bad the chart looks. Anthony, what's your take on the Solana ecosystem right now?
1: So my, my take has remained the same from when I first heard and learned about Solana. I think that people kind of look at the stuff that maybe I'm saying and other Ethereum people are saying and being, oh, you're just dancing on Solana's grave. You know, you're just throwing shots at Solana because it's down so much. And it like I've been throwing the same shots at them that I've been throwing since day one. I just don't think the Solana architecture is long-term sustainable. I don't think Solana is going to win against Ethereum and its L2 ecosystem from a fundamentals perspective. The price action I think is in a different kind of realm and you can talk about it in a different context, but I'm not surprised at all because like Solana had support from SBF and FTX, right? And like now that they're gone and now that SBF isn't funneling all the money that he was making uh, or I guess stealing from customer deposits into Sol, Sol is going back to basically the price that it started at. Like, you know, I don't think it's gonna, I don't know if it's gonna go back to $3, but it's basically erased all of its gains. Like it's down Mm -hmm. more than ETH was down in ETH's 2018 bear market. And ETH was propped up by ICOs, right? And that's why it came down so much. But when you have something like, like that, such a big force propping up your thing, it's going to come down very, very hard. And ETH went through that in in, in 2018. And that's what Solana's going through uh, right now. Now, in saying that, I think people are, and this is one point I really wanted to hit on. I think people are making the false equivalence between ETH coming back from that 2018 bear market and, and Sol coming back from its current bear market. There is no guarantee of this at all, right? There is no guarantee that your favorite thing is going to come back just because uh, someone else's favorite thing came back. And let me put this in context for people like there were thousands of tokens issued and assets issued in 2017 slash 18, maybe 1% or less of those actually went back to their USD all time high. And none of them went back to their Ethan BTC all time high, I believe, uh, except maybe BNB. I think BNB might've been the only thing, right? So, you can't just look at previous performance of other assets and say that your thing is going to do the same thing. Now, the, the, the thing you can do is look at the actual ecosystem behind your favorite project and be like, okay, is this sustainable? Is this going to grow? Are we going to be able to come back from where we're at today Um, And I think for Solana, it is an extremely uphill battle just like it was for Ethereum in 2018. But the problem for Solana is that Ethereum didn't have any real competition at all uh, during its uh, renaissance kind of period. And Ethereum led its own renaissance period. Solana has competition from from everyone else. Every other Layer 1, all these other Layer 1s like Aptos and Sui and Say and and stuff like that. But also Ethereum and its Layer 2 ecosystem, which actually exists today. It didn't exist back in the day, but it does now. Mm -hmm. So... If Solana can come back from that, I'll actually be bullish on it, right? Like I'll, I'm, be, I'm, I'm serious, here, I'll be bullish on Solana if it can come back from this because they're basically starting from a very, very, very bad position right now. Um, not, f- uh, not only from tech perspective, but also from just general sentiment perspective. And if they can manage to build an ecosystem out of that and go back to all time high, which I think is just near impossible, right? Um, I'll be impressed and I'll be bullish, but. At this point in time, I, I, I just can't. And and I've got so many other thoughts on this. And I'm not just saying this because I'm an ETH Maxi. Uh, I believe this about pretty much all the L1s. And I have a lot of thoughts on L1s generally. But I'll, I'll leave that at that. And you can maybe give your, your take there. Because you did say you were going to back the truck up at $10. And I don't think you did.
0: <laughs> uh, I did back the, the Tonka trup, truck up today. Uh, so I bought a few sole, a handful of okay. sole at below $9. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah. uh, do, but did I do that because I'm fundamentally bearish or bullish on the Solana ecosystem? No, it's because of the same reason why I said what I was saying when I tweeted that out in the first place is just like, I know what it's like to be in this position. And the the thing that stands out to me the most is the fact that the Solana community seems to be taking this as a challenge to themselves, which of all the reasons to be bearish about Solana, and maybe I'll just go through with the, I'll put on my ETH maxi hat too and go through those with <laughs> you uh you're totally right that like ethereum had like this privilege of being the only ethereum in the room when it came back from the grave in 2018 to 2020 there were no ethereum competitors at all uh and like solana has to come back wow faced with an ethereum that is already one cycle ahead of it with all of its layer twos which are in a bull market right now that's part of the topics that we're going to talk about and one thing I've always said is like, I won't really be bullish on Solana until I see a frontier of developers pushing forwards in a new direction that Ethereum isn't. Uh, and I'm I'm yet to, yet to see that. That's always been like, all right, David, you are so bullish on Ethereum. What will it take to change your mind? It's always, the answer to that has always been when I see developers doing things on other blockchains that are not being done on Ethereum and those are frontier new level technologies. And I'm I'm yet to see that. Uh, and then also I mean and Sol- even even I was gonna just on that note even if that exists there's no guarantee
1: that that's gonna push Seoul back to its ridiculous mm. all-time high because just to give context for people Seoul started at about 50 cents I think it stayed there mm. for a little while but then quickly went up it went up to 280 that is a bigger run than what ETH did in 2017 yeah, ETH went from that's 10 a bucks massive run yeah Exactly, ETH went from ten dollars to fourteen hundred. It's one hundred and forty x. SOL did much more than that, right? And as we've seen, it was because of the SBF and FTX uh, kind of money funneling in. So where's this money going to come from to get it right. back to to that all time? Even if Solana is providing value to people, even if they have users, even if they have right. developers building cool and interesting stuff, again, that does not necessarily translate into price and. I mean, the the reason it did for ETH is something that we could talk about, but it's an aside there. But yeah, I just wanted to to
0: make that note for people, and I think yeah. this applies to to so many different things as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think my mind goes back to like the the one bullish thing I see about Solana is the community seems to be taking this moment. Not to capitulate, but to rally. At least that from a very cursory glance from what I'm seeing on on Twitter. There is a
1: real community there. there There's a
0: real community. And and that's like this one nugget of like bullish optimism that I have for the Solana ecosystem under a sea of like, wow, that's a lot of headwinds that like not even Ethereum had to face during 2018. And so like, I'm just not envious of the Solana ecosystem, but uh, I am always heartened to see people believe in something uh because i i think you and i both shared that that experience believing in ethereum and during 2018 to 2020 so if that's what they believe in by all means um good luck adventuring forward into the frontier yeah 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 <laughs> yeah But i mean as i said like if they can get out of this,
1: like it'll be incredibly bullish for them. But it is a huge if. It is mm-hmm. something that I mean they have so many headwinds, and honestly, like Ethereum, as you said, did have headwinds coming out of its own bear period, but not compared to what Solana has here. And I'm not just saying that because mm-hmm. I'm people are going to call me an ETH maxi for saying that. I literally, objectively looking at the headwinds yeah. that that Solana has compared to what what Ethereum had, it's it's very different, and it's a different ecosystem it's a different ball game uh if there is a real community there that can bring value and st- and, and keep building out solana that's fine but mm-hmm. is that enough to fend off competition right. is that enough to get sold back to all-time high i really don't think so
0: yeah yeah and the sentiment on crypto twitter is like as negative as it can get on solana here's a tweet uh from she generates maker has 260 million in t- uh, t- in total locked value in march of 2020 when Ether was collapsing to $85. So during the capitulation crisis of COVID, each ETH collapsed down to $85 and MakerDAO had $260 million of TVL. Some of that was my TVL. Uh, (laughs) Solana currently has $229 million in total locked value. So the Maker is just a single app on Ethereum. And Solana is an entire layer one blockchain. So this kind of puts into per, it puts into context, like Solana has individual applications on Ethereum that it competes with like many, many, many applications. And that is not it, competition yeah. that Ethereum had prior. Exactly. It speaks to the fact that back then, Ethereum was the only
1: thing that was around, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, uh, Solana is not the only thing that is around. The reason why Solana has such low TVL, uh, or at least one of the reasons, is because people have their funds on other chains. It's not just right. Ethereum, right? There are other right. chains out there. It obviously is a vast majority of Ethereum, mm-hmm. but there are L2s that are just dominating right now. We're going to talk about that. Uh, so, and, right. and that didn't exist back then. Like, there was just Ethereum. There was EOS, but no one, like, I mean, EOS came... EOS's problem was that it came in a bear market, I think, so it didn't get what Solana got by coming and being ready for a bull market. But there wasn't really anything else there was and, and there wasn't DeFi or anything and then ethereum created this thing called mm-hmm. DeFi and worked on it and it, it's amazing and it works really well and people love it and now there are other chains that just copy ethereum and there are so many of them so like i, I don't see the differentiator here yeah. like I, I really don't and, and honestly the only reason why people are talking about solana so much is because it had such a big bull market and that's just uh, uh left over from then there are other ecosystems there are other l1s that do much better than solana but Smart Chain is killing it, right? Compared to, to Solana. No one talks about it, it's a but good it is, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think the only reason why that pe- so many people are talking about Solana mm-hmm. is because it had such a, a loud bull market. Now, and that's another headwind. Will people do, are people even gonna care in a year? I, 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 I honestly don't think so. Um, And 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 yeah, I, I could go on forever and mm-hmm. people c- always call me an Maxi for this. And I really don't like it because I think the takes that we're both giving here are very reasoned and very, uh, just looking at the data, looking at what's happening here, and honestly, like with if, if L2s didn't exist, I'd be just as bearish on Ethereum because there's no way Ethereum would be able to actually service anyone or anything without L2s taking on a lot of this, lot of this growth. Um, and from that perspective, I really do think that people need to look at this objectively and look at what's happening now compared to back then and not just say, oh, Solana's going to make it out of this because Ethereum made it out of its bear market. That's the it's, it's insane to me when people think that. Maybe it's just people uh blindly having optimism here because they need to because maybe they're underwater just like i was underwater on eth buys maybe i had some blind optimism back then but but yeah just looking at it as a whole it's it's very hard for me to to find a bull case here
0: i do want to pay attention to one last tweet from vitalik buterin actually who tweets out some smart people tell me that there is an earnest smart developer community in solana and now that the awful opportunistic money people have been washed out the chain has a bright future Hard for me to tell from the outside, but I hope the community gets its fair chance to thrive. And interestingly enough, this tweet actually marked the bottom uh, because Solana was like breaking down below $8 uh, and then uh, Vitalik tweeted this and it jumped like 20, 25% or something uh, to be, I think, where it is uh, just below $10 right now. Uh, but this is this is kind of the sentiment like I see real people yeah. in Solana who believe in it. And I think this is the right sentiment to, to on to brighter things that make us both happy. Uh, the state of yep. layer twos are really, really good. <laughs> They're really, really strong. Uh, so again, this is analyst Ben over at Bankless who put a L2 year in review with some uh, metrics that we want to share here. So here is the Arbitrum transaction count on a monthly basis. Uh, almost every single candle is higher than its previous one for the entire year of 2022, which I think is pretty damn cool. Uh, the same thing with optimism, it's just a chart up and to the right. So L2 usage is just in an absolute bull market. Users are up and up and to the right, Not unique transacting addresses, and of course the rise of GMX on Arbitrum as well. One of the few tokens that didn't do bad in 2022. Anthony, uh, what's your take on all of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been saying people are going to call us Max's for this, but we've yep. believed in L2s for, for a long time, right? This isn't a, 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 a kind of sudden thing for, for us. This isn't like, oh, all the L1s are dead, L2s are good, let's pivot to being bullish on L2s. No, we've always been bullish on Ethereum and L2s and Ethereum's roll-up centric roadmap because it makes the most sense. It makes the most sense from every kind of way you look at it, economic, social, uh, scalability. And we're seeing this play out in real time. While the L1s are dying, basically, or losing a lot of their activity, L2s are picking all of that up. And people are coming home to Ethereum because Ethereum is consistently the most sustainable ecosystem in crypto. It is the most fun to be on. Uh, and I think what was holding it back was those high fees on Layer 1. And now we have L2s, which have really cheap fees. Not as cheap as some of the L1s out there, um, but they will be post dank sharding. They'll be cheaper. And they'll still be able to inherit Ethereum security and Ethereum's community and Ethereum's network effect. So I'm not surprised at all to see the L2s grow. I, I'm a little bit surprised to see them grow so well in a bear market. It really yeah. speaks to just how how awesome uh, the, I guess, like L2s are, the fact that they can grow in a bear market like this. But what's going to happen in a bull market? I mean, it's going to be amazing. In the next bull market we have, Ethereum is actually going to have a scalable ecosystem for people to play around with. People aren't going to be priced out anymore. Uh, and I, I I honestly can't wait for that. But... And, and, and L2 transaction counts have actually flipped L1 now, which is what we want to see. Ethereum L1 is a settlement layer. It is not a user layer, at least for most users. It, it is for those who can afford it, of course, but L2s are where the users will sit. And the thesis is playing out before our eyes. This is not a new thesis. We've t- talked about this for many, many years and it is playing out. So I think people need to understand that is if, that we that we, we're not just pivoting to being L2 bulls. We're, we've been L2 bulls all along, right?
0: <laughs> we've been waiting for the, for the L2s to show up. I've, I'm yes. really enjoying this new scaling factor page out of Layer 2 beat. Uh, One of my Mm -hmm. predictions for for 2022 is the scaling factor of Ethereum, which is how many more times layer twos on Ethereum transact Ethereum's worth of capacity. So right now, uh, Ethereum's got a scaling factor of 2.4. So if you combine all of the layer twos together, add all their transactions, that is 2.4 times the amount of transactions you can put through the Ethereum layer one. And my prediction is that we are going to hit five by the end of 2023. And I think that is a very low number. I I think we could see a lot higher than five.
1: Mhm. Definitely.
0: All right, Bank This Nation. Coming up, we got the news of the week that we got to talk about. China is opening up an NFT marketplace. Absolutely nuts. Uh, as an ice <laughs> storm passes over half of the globe, pudgy penguins reach new all-time highs. Coincidence? Uh, and a developer gets arrested, an exchange gets sued, and I ask Anthony to rate crypto Twitter tweets out of 10, so stay tuned for all of this and more. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors to help you go bankless. Arbitrum One is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum One, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With a recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum One and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive TrueFi is DeFi's largest credit protocol, connecting global lenders with institutional-grade lending opportunities. TrueFi has completed over $1.7 billion in originations and paid out nearly $35 million to lenders, proving that DeFi is ready to take its next big leap into the $8 trillion credit market. TrueFi gives lenders like you access to sustainable, high-yield opportunities backed by real-world investments, usually reserved for high-net-worth individuals. At the same time, fund managers use TrueFi's financial infrastructure to bring their portfolios on-chain, benefiting from the global liquidity, cost savings, and transparency of DeFi. TruFi is a decentralized financial utility. The protocol is owned and governed by the TruFi DAO, and TruFi is here to bring DeFi into the golden age, bridging the power and access of crypto with institutional-grade lending opportunities and portfolio tooling. Explore the diverse financial opportunities available on TruFi or launch your own portfolio at TrueFi.io. Not so much news in the Ethereum world this week. One release we want to talk about, Tyco. Tyco is a brand new Ethereum layer two, EVM equivalent layer two. I love those words. Uh, and they tweet out, first public testnet is now live. Welcome to our alpha one testnet, aka some Icelandic word that I'm not even going to yeah. bother to pronounce, but it's got a volcano Schnaf- next Fals-
1: to Jokul Or something <laughs> way better
0: than I would ever have had. So congrats on that. Uh, And they continue (laughs) as we, it's as open as we make it. So while you are relaxing this week, participate, deploy a contract, wrote a node and proposer, or just make some transactions. So if you are interested, probably uh, for the technically minded, if you are interested in exploring the frontier of ZK EVMs that are EVM equivalent, check out Tyco
1: yeah yeah the unique thing about tyco is that they're building a type one zkVM mm. uh, or zk roll up uh so no zk evm um and i don't think there's any other uh zkvms doing that which is cool because i think vitalik mentioned there were like two or three or four types of zkvm and they have different properties but yeah tyco is building a type one zkvm so different than the other ones you may have heard of
0: yeah uh, and if you want to learn more about what Anthony just talked about there with the type one versus type two, read this post that we'll link in the show notes about how to distinguish an uh, ZK EVM. Uh, D uh, an NFT project on Solana, uh, has now decided to bridge over to Ethereum in Q1 of 2023. Uh, so, kind of some indication of a little bit of what we were talking about earlier. Uh, I think it, they, they were the biggest NFT
1: project on Solana, um, oh really? just to give some scale here. It's not just some random NFT project. From what I saw, it was the biggest. <laughs> and they also bridging something called Utes to Polygon as well. So yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of like people abandoning the Solana chain for mm. Ethereum and Polygon. And that's how people kind of read it on Twitter. Um, yeah, I don't know. There, there is a signal there. I don't know exactly what that signal is because I don't know what this project is. I don't know how sustainable yeah. it is. I don't, I don't know anything about it. But there is a signal there that projects moving from solana and other l1s back to ethereum or just over to ethereum and uh they're on pos chain there is a signal there i believe it depends on what you want that signal to be though <laughs> yeah.
0: uh certainly like i talked about with the pudgy penguins uh did you ever own a pudgy penguin nft uh, anthony i don't think you're much of an nft guy
1: mm, no but uh someone i think crypto wife made me a penguin in my kind oh, of like character yeah, right. but it wasn't that's part right. of the nft but yeah I, I don't think i ever owned a pudgy penguin no
0: Well, let me tell you, I bought some Pudgy Penguins and (laughs) sold them at the absolute bottom. So congrats to everyone (laughs) that that held the Pudgy Penguin because it just hit an all-time high of 7 ETH rare to see uh, an NFT hit all-time highs these days, but congratulations to all the pudgy holders. Speaking of NFTs, uh, China is actually launching a national digital asset marketplace to trade, actually not NFTs, they are specifying digital collectibles, uh, because apparently digital collectibles have been popular amongst Chinese collectors through heavily regulated marketplaces, and now there's going to be a Chinese national digital collectible marketplace. Wow, did you see this one coming?
1: no and i kind of take news out of china with a grain of salt because there's a lot of lost in translation and the Mm -hmm. chinese government basically changes their mood uh from time to time i mean we've seen china bans bitcoin a million times right so i kind of take that with a grain of salt we'll see uh it's not really interesting to me considering it's a very closed ecosystem like it's more closed than a centralized exchange right it's completely and utterly controlled by the ccp so yeah there's definitely not something that interests me uh to be honest but interesting interesting development but yeah not something that interests me personally
0: I mean, it definitely checks out. If China is making a CBDC, this is what. What is this? This is basically a CBDC version of a marketplace for digital mm, collectibles. Mm. So I think it's China. If this, if we're taking this piece of news at face value, because yeah, you're totally right. There's like a just like a cultural barrier that can't be crossed with a lot of news and information that comes out of China. But I think it's fair to assume that the Chinese government is like, oh, digital collectibles, those are totally going to exist. So we should mm-hmm. make a marketplace that is state-run to facilitate that technology. That seems like the very obvious like, path, just like accepting their existence and then making a state-operated exchange to do that. That sounds pretty China to me. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Uh, Did you know MicroStrategy purchased an additional (laughs) 2,500 Bitcoin for $41 million, Anthony? Uh, well, it is is it a day that ends with why, right? <laughs> Like a is buying BTC.
1: You know I, what I found funny about this actually is that they sold some BTC to mm-hmm. tax loss harvest and then yep. rebought and bought more, which is actually kind of smart because they're down so bad on a lot mm-hmm. of their buys right now. So tax loss harvesting makes sense. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not surprised at all that Sailor bought more BTC, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, here's the ar- that article about the tax loss harvesting. So, uh, sold 700 bitcoins, bought them back two days later. To- tax loss and they al- he
1: also sold a bunch of m master strategy um stock i believe and then probably put that money into btc Which is kind of funny when you think about it he's like taking the tr- the trad money from from master and putting it into btc so yeah that was interesting <laughs> as well
0: i think dude this is the story for the ages man like th- this is R- ryan's take and i i think i should agree with him is that it's going to work out for him like Bitcoin is going to end up in the green for, for Michael Saylor. Pro- pro- probably, yeah. I mean, I'm not bullish on Bitcoin against ETH,
1: but like against USD, it can probably mm-hmm. easily go back to all-time high in the next cycle. I'm, I have mm-hmm. no doubt there.
0: But yeah, it'll, it'll probably work out for him. But it would have worked out better if he bought ETH. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> <You know. laughs> hey, to each their own, you know? everyone's Everyone's got their preferred assets. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We've been following stories like this over the past uh, few weeks. So here's another one. Argo blockchain, which is a Bitcoin mining public company, uh, has suspended trading uh, in US shares for 24 hours. Uh, They are on apparently the verge of bankruptcy. So they are looking to figure out how to restructure without declaring bankruptcy. But the health of the Bitcoin mining ecosystem is definitely being stressed. Uh, and this is nothing new. This happens at the bottom of every single bear market, really. It's like Bitcoin miners go under and the strong ones become stronger. Uh, this is kind of like an important facet of like how Bitcoin works in, uh, in the first place with just miners always improving in efficiency in theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, to me, actually Ryan, uh, excuse me, I almost just called you Ryan Anthony. Uh, <laughs> this actually marks a bottom for me. This is a bottom indicator of for uh, just the crypto industry at large, but also specifically for Bitcoin. And I have this ETH BTC long position open and this news like this actually makes me a little nervous uh, just because this this is a strong bottom indicator for Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, but there's also still a lot of mining emissions that will just keep getting sold, right? Like that was the my main thesis around mm-hmm. ETH BTC was the the fact that ETH no longer has those emissions and BTC does. And on top of that, these collapses just lead to more centralization of mining because, as you said, the bigger players get bigger, mining becomes more centralized uh, and becomes much harder to compete because of that. Because you need mm-hmm. like a massive amount of capital to to start up. And I I, I know that there are arguments to be had about proof of stake centralizing as well, but I don't think that's out of scope for For my point here. But I mean, I don't think I can be bearish on ETH BTC in that scenario. Just because some miners have capitulated doesn't mean that the existing miners aren't going to continue to sell BTC to cover their expenses. They definitely will. That is not a theory. That is a fact. They have to sell BTC to cover expenses. That is the only asset or the only revenue that they make is from selling BTC. Um, Some of them may have a very small part of of uh, their business that does other things, but it's like centralized crypto exchanges. Majority of their revenue comes from crypto trading, right? Uh, So the majority of the Bitcoin miner revenue, if not all of it, comes from selling BTC. And this goes for any miner. So when you have that sell pressure and Ethereum doesn't, and ETH as an asset has much more, I think, demand drivers than BTC does, at least from my perspective, I don't know how you can be bearish on ETH BTC in that
0: world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And some more news out of the crypto exchange world. Gemini's Earn program is being sued by some of its investors, of course, because all of that money was in uh, Genesis, which went under because of FTX. All of this contagion worked its way to Gemini Earn and sadly is now being sued by investors uh, due to all of that. Anthony, any comments here? I mean, just more kind of innocent people getting hurt, right? Thinking that they are putting their money into something that
1: was trustworthy because Gemini is a trustworthy exchange, right? They haven't really had any dodgy stuff happen around them. And uh, yeah, I feel sorry for people that lost money here. But again, speaks to if you don't know where the yield is coming from, uh, you may just be the yield. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's a good take there.
0: Anthony, a few weeks ago, Ryan and I covered the story of this guy, Avi, who uh, was manipulating markets on mango markets on Solana and then took some of that winnings to go get liquidated with gambling with Curve in Ave. I don't know if you remember that story, but that developer was arrested for uh, commodities fraud and manipulating markets. Go figure, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I thought this tweet was pretty funny from him. Statement on recent, recent events. This was after he was publicly known to have done all of this. He did He did this out in the open. I was involved with a team that operated a highly profitable trading strategy last week. Second tweet, I believe all of our actions were legal open market actions using the protocols as designed, even if the development team did not fully anticipate all of the consequences of setting parameters the way that they are. Unfortunately, the exchange this took place on market, Mingo Markets became insolvent as a result, with the insurance fund being inf- insufficient to cover all liquidations. This led to other users being unable to access their funds. To remedy the situation, I hoped negotiate a settlement with the insurance fund with the goal of making all users whole as soon as possible, as well as recapitalizing the exchange. Uh, this man is now being charged by the CFTC for commodities fraud. Nice. Yeah, yeah.
1: Commodities for market manipulation. My main takeaway from this is a broader kind of take where essentially it it kind of opens Pandora's box now. Like if you can prosecute for this or if you can, you can charge for this, can you charge for people running MEV strategies, right? Like Mm. for example, there is a very toxic MEV strategy called sandwich attacks that pretty much everyone agrees with is extremely toxic and should be completely uh, eliminated. But can the CFTC charge the MEV searches and and maybe even the relayers for kind of helping this to, to happen? And I don't know, maybe they're studying it. Maybe they're trying to see if this can, can be considered market manipulation, but it's all very subjective because there's also MEV in TradFi markets and it's quite toxic as well. Like payment for order flow, I believe is, is quite toxic where the biggest players get to pay for the order flow information and then make money on that. Basically a form of MEV. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. But it seems like they're more so going after the individual rather than the uh, actions that the individual, like the individual for the actions he took, but rather than the actual actions, right? So maybe just don't be so public about it and don't actually go out there saying that it's a highly profitable trading strategy (laughs) when in reality you were just manipulating things and you you knowingly did it, right? You knowingly manipulated the exchange, uh, knowing that it would lead to losses for users. If you do it like that, then yeah i mean i think it's a bit bit uh, if you be brazen about it yeah it's a bit bit more
0: yeah. And the way that this works, Bankless Nation, if you're questioning how this happened, is he basically took uh, a large sum of money, was able to move a market in one direction uh, for an oracle price and then be able to take a position out uh, of that market that he just moved in order to capitalize on it. And then when everything resets after he's been you know, tinkering around with oracles and prices on illiquid markets, he ends up with way more money. Uh, and then everyone else mm-hmm. that had money in the extra, in, in the mango market uh, didn't have any money to withdraw. This is a, called an economic attack. Uh, And it's what it's it's market manipulation is what it is. And so Anthony, are you saying uh, that uh, the difference between like a sandwich attack with MEV versus market manipulation and DeFi app is really just like on a spectrum and one's very, very small and one's very, very large? Is that kind of what you were saying? Yeah, but it's it's. I mean, it's just subjective, right? It just it
1: depends on which regulatory authority that it is, what they want to go after, what's actually written in law, what they can prove, what they think is harmful, uh, on on what scale it's harmful at. There's a lot of different moving parts here. But you could you could imagine an argument being made by some, one of these authorities to say that anyone engaged in MEV behavior is hurting people, so we're going to prosecute for that. But it it'd probably be a lot harder to prosecute for that rather than just going after an individual being so loud about it and mm-hmm. having all the on chain. Proof to, to kind of go after because a lot of the searches are actually anonymous from what I've seen. They may be searches. Oh, interesting. Mm. All
0: right, Bankless Nation coming up next. We got some questions out of the nation. We're going to go straight to the Inner Circle Discord to get some of our questions this week. Uh, and then we got some hot takes of the week and Anthony and I play a fun game where I go through the hottest takes, the hottest tweets of 2022 and ask him to rate them on a 0 to 10 scale. Oh, I think that game's going to be pretty fun. But before we get there, have to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors to help you go bankless. Sequence is the all-in-one developer platform you need to build Web3 games and applications. For your users, Sequence is a smart wallet and it's the easiest, most intuitive onboarding your users will ever experience and comes with all the features users need to feel empowered in the Web3 world. Multi-chain support, NFT display, and users can buy SFTs, NFTs, and crypto directly with a credit or debit card. For developers, Sequence is the plug-and-play platform for Web3 games and apps. They're able APIs let you bring NFTs, SFTs, and tokens into your game or application, and a Sequence Relayer enables gasless transactions for your users. Sequence already powers some of the best Web3 games like Skyweaver, NFT projects like Cool Cats, and marketplaces like NiftySwap. And Sequence is compatible with all the EVM chains, including Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, Optimism, and Avalanche. So go to Sequence.xyz to start building or speak with the Sequence team today. The Brave Wallet is your secure, multi-chain on-ramp into Web3, and it's built directly into the Brave privacy browser. Gone are the days of managing multiple wallet extensions that put you at risk of phishing, spoofs, and tracking. With the Brave wallet, you can securely manage your crypto assets across more than 100 different chains, including Ethereum, Layer 2s, Solana, and more, all without downloading risky extensions. The Brave Wallet is easy to set up and removes the headache of jumping between wallets and extensions. It's lightweight, but packed with great features like built-in token swaps, buying and holding NFTs with a gallery view, and support for hardware wallets. But also much more than that, because Brave is shipping new features every single month with a mission to make Web3 easier to navigate for its over 55 million users. Wallet extensions are a thing of the past. So get started with Brave's Web3 Ready browser today, and experience a decentralized web seamlessly without all the clutter. You can download the browser at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. And we are back with some questions from the nation. We're getting these questions straight from the Inner Circle Discord. So if you are a Bankless Premium subscriber and you would like to ask either me or Ryan, but this week, Anthony, a question, Uh, Go into the Bankless Circle Inner Discord and ask it in the brand new weekly roll-up question section. The first question of the week comes from Poser out of the Inner Circle Discord. Asks, how does Aztec compare with Tornado Cash? How is its security model? And why did you invest in it? Uh, Because uh, this uh, Bankless listener knows that Ryan and I invested in Aztec. And since Anthony also invested in Aztec, Anthony, you want to take this question?
1: Yeah, so the main difference between Aztec and Tornado Cash is that Aztec has a much broader kind of scope here. Aztec is a privacy preserving layer two, or they've actually kind of rebranded themselves uh, lately to an encrypted L2 because they're using the <laughs> term encryption instead of privacy. Uh, I think- Great
0: rebrand, I, great Yeah, re-brand. It's, a, it's, a,
1: it's a really great rebrand. And I, I think it may be due to, I guess, the stigma around privacy, mm-hmm. which unfortunately exists. But basically Tornado Cash is, is a mixer, right? A very good mixer, obviously, because OFAC found that kind of prudent to sanction it right it was so good at being a mixer um whereas aztec uh, wants to be an encrypted layer two where basically you can do privacy preserving transactions at their layer two while also tapping into layer one ethereum liquidity and they have this thing called aztec connect and they have a bunch of apps on aztec that allow you to essentially tap into uh, ethereum layer one liquidity while doing a transaction on aztec layer two which means that your transaction is still private so i think it's very cool i mean as you said i'm an investor in it as well um basically because They're one of the only L2 teams, if not the only one, focusing solely on making a privacy-preserving L2, which I think is Mm -hmm. incredibly uh, interesting and incredibly needed. I mean, my two biggest bull cases for Ethereum, are, or my two biggest things I'm interested, sorry, in Ethereum are scalability and privacy, and Aztec offers both. So, yeah, no-brainer investment for me, for sure.
0: Not only does it offer both, but one actually helps the other. So the privacy helps the the speed and the speed helps the privacy, which is a, a pretty cool uh, synergy between these two things. Uh, all right. Next question coming up. Lab Punk. What is the, currently the best hardware solution, price over quality, to run a dedicated ETH node? Anthony, I know you've got a solo staker computer. I don't think you're going to suggest that as a price to quality staking <laughs> computer, but I was wondering if you could uh, give your take here. Do you have any, uh, any ideas as to the best kind of hardware to set up a, an ETH node?
1: I think the best hardware would probably be a NUC. So if you search like Intel NUC on Twitter, that's going to be your best kind of like uh, price to performance ratio. Now, my store is taking PC. I posted the Twitter. People probably saw saw it. It's basically a gaming PC, like totally overkill. You do not need that at all. But an Intel NUC uh, with at least at least 16 gig of RAM and a two terabyte solid state drive is going to be your best bang for your buck. Now, in saying that, you can also run validators on Raspberry Pis or what's something called a rocket. 5b board but for everyday people i would suggest something like an intel NUC and run something called dap node on it which makes it really easy to stake and dap node actually has their own solution um with avado so avado is basically an intel NUC that comes preloaded with dapnode node and then you can run it with that so yeah i would say that's your best bang for your buck uh kind of node exp- to run a um dedicated eth node slash validators yeah. on that i um, forgot i had
0: one right here oh Oh, there you go (laughs) that's all it is really that's that's
1: all you need and you can run up to hundreds of validators off of that uh, which is actually what someone from the rocket pool community does um i don't i don't believe he's running it off a NUC. i think it's either off a rock 5b or a raspberry pi he runs hundreds of of rocket pool mini pools off of that uh, which means he's running validators on that so when you, when you kind of look at it like that, yeah, you don't need beefy overpowered hardware at all. Uh, and people who do that, like me, are just doing that because they like pretty things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, an Intel NUC or, or an Avado, which is basically a NUC coming pre-installed with DAP node, is probably going to be your best bang for buck, I think.
0: Yeah, and these, these are really what these machines are for. They're just like the minimum viable computer that's in a tiny little box. And it mm-hmm. does all the computation you would ever need for a, a computationally constrained blockchain. Like your individual computer can totally run a blockchain uh, and it doesn't really need to be that big. Uh, All right. And then last question, Theo, will there always be an N plus one layer twos or do you think we will settle with a winner take most kind of market between one of Optimism, Arbitrum, ZK Sync? I'm not sure if they specifically chose these three, but there are some bigger uh, layer twos that we would expect to be in the future. And I think that N plus one phrasing is kind of interesting. I think, so I think the question is, will there always be growth in the supply of layer twos, or will there be uh, concentration on a few winter, uh, layer twos that will scale both horizontally and vertically? What do you think about this, Anthony?
1: So broadly speaking, to me, there are two kind of categories of layer twos. There are the generalized ones like Optimism and Arbitrum that allow you to do anything like what you do on Ethereum layer one. And then there are the specialized ones like the app layer one, or sorry, the app uh, L2s like DYDX, for example, that are very specific to uh, a a use case and very specific to just DYDX. So I think that in terms of generalized platforms, there's only going to be a small handful of them that actually take the majority of the market share. There aren't going to be hundreds of these generalized L2s that all share market share it's just not going to happen like that i don't believe um but then on the uh the dedicated l2 app layers kind of things um, i think that we're going to have hundreds of those i think there's going to be a a lot of different ones not all of them are going to succeed of course but they're definitely going to be quite prominent so that's how i split it up and i think obviously the market leaders right now are Arbitrum and optimism in terms of the generalized platforms but the jury's still out on a long-term winner i mean as we've seen there are ecosystems that can uh kind of um build up a, a network effect but then lose that quite quickly because it may not have been a real network effect it may have just been subsidized by bull market activity but yeah that's how that's how i generally look at it uh, and i think that's a good way to frame it as well because there is not going to be hundreds of generalized L2s. There's just, I mean, just from a perspective of network effect, there's not that, uh, the network effect begets network effect. And because of the power law distributions that we see in pretty much everything, I think I don't think the uh, generalized L2s are going to escape that power law effect.
0: Yeah, I think we can definitely apply the same reasoning why we, you and I both don't think that there will be a large number of smart contract layer 1s are probably mm-hmm. going to extend itself into layer twos. There's probably not going to be that many smart contract layer two either, for the same reasons that we believe the first case. Um, but then there's also you do get the more app-specific chains. Like oh, there's always going to be like a single chain for like World of Warcraft, for example, or whatever like more specific niche use case you have for a specific server of some kind. Um, mm-hmm. But then also there's uh, there's takes like Pol- Polenia's take, who thinks that. Uh, they always emphasize the possibility that a Layer 2 will be able to produce some possible new type of money, a new economic model for money. Uh, I've seen them uh, articulate that a number of times, and so I'm, there's like perhaps use cases for Layer 2s that we haven't even really been able to optimize for yet. Uh, actually, Anthony, I do have one more question for you. Uh, I can't actually mm-hmm. remember where this was quest- asked in the Inner Circle, but I thought I'd ask you. Uh, what is your favorite Pokémon?
1: Oh, jeez. That's putting me on the spot. I haven't played a Pokemon game in a long time. Um, I think my favorite from, I guess, like when I used to play it a lot, which was very, very long time ago, Sapphire and Ruby Days, Gen 3. I would say my favorite from back then was probably Salamance, because the way that you got hmm. Salamance was getting a Bagon. Um, and I think it's Bagon. And to get that you had to go to a specific cave and kind of find it. And it took me a while to get there and find it. And I I just I actually remember where I was. I was at I was at the beach playing on my Game Boy as a little <laughs> kid with my parents. Uh, and I got it there. And then it involved into Sheldon, I think it was. Uh-huh. Uh, Sheldon yeah, right. or something. Yeah. And then Salamance. So yeah, um, but yeah, since then I haven't really kind of played it too much uh, so that would that would be my answer
0: <laughs> all right and of course all of these questions came from the inner circle discord if you want to come in and have some fun with us sign up for bankless premium and i will see you in there in the questions and answers channel one take of the week this week out of crypto twitter and this is coming from djen spartan himself <laughs> and if anyone else tweeted this tweet i definitely wouldn't have included it but djen spartan says personally i'm excited about 2023 because that's when the crypto bear market ends no specific time in 2023, but just 2023 broadly. Anthony, what do you think about this take? It's a
1: meme. I'm sorry to burst your bu- bubble. It's a copy paste. Wait, style. seriously? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. No. Um, but, uh, but did also, I just get memed? Yeah, you did. You got you got inverse broad.
0: <laughs> oh, I just got inverse broad. Wow. Yeah.
1: Um, because look, Dejan Spartan I, I consider to be one of the the smarter people on on crypto Twitter. Yeah, even though he shit posts a lot. Yeah. Even though this is a shit post unironically I think it's also truthful but he's also been calling the bottom for as long as I have on ETH specifically and saying that now would be a good time to accumulate for the next cycle which I also believe to be honest Mm. um so I I think the bear market for ETH uh like and and BTC ending I mean it, it could be in 2023 if you subscribe to those usual cycles that we see in crypto but yeah I think on the surface this is a shit post with with a bunch of alpha underneath it as well
0: yeah. See, that's always the beauty B- Beauty about DGEN's tweets. It's like, yeah, it's shitpost, but like, it could not be though.
1: Mm-hmm. You don't really yeah. know. Yeah. You don't really yeah, know. But I think I think he subscribes to the same thing maybe we do where now is the time to accumulate and uh, yeah. like on, on ETH and maybe B- BTC, but... Yeah, it's, it's and then he's, he's also saying things like there are some assets that are going to give you 100x from here, just like what happened last cycle. But picking those is really, really hard. And it's even harder these days because there's so many more assets and projects. Um, But but yeah, when, when you see market talk like this on crypto Twitter, just generally to people, I would kind of steer clear of it no matter who it's coming from because no one has a crystal ball. But if you are a long-term investor, then yeah, I mean, you can look at a few different kind of metrics out there and come to a
0: conclusion based on that. And then the last set of tweets that we're going to go through in 2022. This will actually be the last tweets. Uh, Blockworks put out this uh, article that I thought was pretty fun. Crypto Twitters, most liked tweets of the year. There's seven of them. So we're going to go through them one by one. We're not going to talk about this one. We're just going to put it on screen and briefly move on. Uh, Number two, Vitalik Buterin about the merge. And we finalized. Happy merch to all. This is a big moment for the Ethereum ecosystem. Everyone who helped make the merge happen should feel proudly today. Anthony, rate this tweet out of 10. Uh, like 100 out of 10 like come on this is, a, this is easy this is I mean the merge was the best thing that happened this
1: year and Vitalik tweeting about I, mean, I saw Vitalik tear up on the stream right like he was in like I couldn't imagine the amount of happiness he was feeling uh, seeing the merge happen after working on it for so long it's like his pride and joy right his baby so yeah I mean this is the best tweet of the year for me I mean the merge is the best thing that happened this year this is the best tweet yeah that's not even not even hard for me to answer
0: <laughs> yeah and the uh, 194,000 likes. I think that, yeah, this makes it Vitalik's most liked tweet. Coming in Mm -hmm. number three, CZ, uh, we need less divide in the world, more building. 136,000 likes. Anthony, rate this tweet.
1: I mean, I agree with the tweet, but coming from CZ, it's a bit ironic. Uh, CZ's (laughs) CZ's kind of like redemption arc has been funny because he's like been able to have like a, a more positive um uh view of himself because of spf blowing up but cz yeah. is still a villain in his own right to me so i would say i agree with the tweet but i think it's it's very ironic coming from cz and out of 10 i mean eight, maybe 8 out of 10 or, or something because that because that's what i've always believed in like let's just keep building um mm-hmm. but it would be 10 out of 10 if it came from someone else
0: <laughs> cz is a villain why is cz a villain
1: Uh, I'm not, I, I, to go into it would take me a while, but CZ has promoted some very shady and scammy things in the past to make himself, uh, to make Binance kind of successful. He got into bed with Justin Sun and Tron during the last bear market. He was a very, very, very big promoter of them. Um, and he generally does a lot of the same stuff SBF did in terms of, I guess, like, uh, well, I mean, it's suspected of, but there's, there's obviously not much proof, but he, he's definitely better at managing his risk as well. He's definitely better at, like, not just, I mean, he's everything he that hasn't, I don't think he's stolen customer deposits or anything like that. But for people who have been around for a while, you'll know that CZ has definitely been a villain and he's just kind of, like, rejigged his image recently. Um, maybe these days he's not as much of a villain, but he, he definitely was back in back in the day.
0: I definitely uh, agree that those all those things definitely happen. I will also give him some credit of, he has put a lot of private keys in a lot of people's hands and at the end of the day you also have to take into account that people in like south america and argentina use binance to get mm. their lives done uh and mm. so uh, well, I mean,
1: binance is a good business right and it's it's been great right. for crypto and all those insolvency rumors i think were really, really really dumb about binance i think comparing binance and ftx is completely wrong and comparing mm-hmm. cz and sbf is completely wrong but at the same time, CZ is not an innocent party. It's not like he's an angel. He he definitely is a villain in his own right. He definitely cares about he cares about growing Binance at all costs. I don't think he cares about his own wealth and and power. Like SBF definitely cared about power above all else. But mm-hmm. I think CZ as a as a person cares above all else growing Binance, and he's and he's stuck to that, which is fair enough. But he's done unscrupulous things to grow Binance, which yeah, that's that's where the villainess comes from. I think.
0: All right, coming in number four, Naib Bukele, the uh, president of El Salvador, just over 100,000 likes. El Salvador just bought the dip <laughs> with an El Salvador flag. 500 coins at an average US dollar price of $30,700. Anthony, zero out of 10.
1: Uh, like zero, because this oh, dude's just ouch. yeeting his country's like money into BTC at the highs. And I really don't think that his citizens cared much for BTC or cared much for it being integrated they uh yeah el salvador as a country is is not you know it's not first order country right and to see your presidents and i say president with quotation marks uh because there is uh apparently he's not much of a president more of a dictator to see him yeeting this money into btc and to being underwater on it, and then trying to force his citizens to accept btc at their businesses and stuff i don't know i, I don't think this is this is a great
0: look at all uh, and i've i've been critical of this from for a very long time yeah uh, again, i again i don't totally disagree uh, Michael Saylor tweets out Monday morning is time to get back to work. And it's a meme of Michael Saylor handing you McDonald's fries. Hashtag Bitcoin. Yeah. Anthony, write yeah, this tweet.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think as a meme, it's hilarious. Um, uh, again, going back to like the person tweeting it versus the tweet itself. Uh, so I guess like <laughs> eight out of 10 maybe, but he tweeted this in May of, of this year when BTC was collapsing and so was ETH right. and everything else, right? And he's just making fun of himself for being underwater. So I guess he's got some some humor there. Um, but uh, but at the same time, yeah, at least like Sailor, I'm, I'm not a big fan, obviously people know.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, you have to give him the credit on the tweet though. That is pretty good. Yeah, funny.
1: definitely, yeah. Sam oh,
0: Bankman freed, 58,000 likes, uh, one- I'm sorry. That's the biggest thing. Two, I effed up. I should have done better. Anthony, rate this tweet.
1: Oh, I mean like negative a million out of, out of 10. Like saying I, I should have done better. Are you kidding me, bro? Like you literally knowingly stole customer deposits to try and yeet into things to try and like leverage, try to make up for your bad trades. Like get out of here. Get out of here. Like I, I'm, I'm so glad that he actually got arrested and is actually facing jail time for his, uh, his crimes here, because this is just ridiculous. And I think, I said this on, on my own show, people like SBF who were just basically massive egomaniacs, when their empires crumble, their mind breaks and they're actually not thinking straight anymore because then they, they know deep down that they're never coming back from this. Right. And he's not the only one, Do Kwon, three AC. Um, and they, they, they speak like they're actually like mentally deranged and they're saying things that a normal person wouldn't say. And that's simply because their mind is broken. Their empire is gone uh, and their life is over. They, I think they know that and their, their, their careers are over and they have to deal with that. And their way of dealing with that
0: is this, <laughs> apparently. Yeah, yeah, that's a pretty good take. Uh, yeah, speaking in of at, uh, the uh, devil. Uh, <laughs> speaking of Do Kwan, yeah. Do Kwan at 41,000 likes, close to announcing a recovery plan for UST. Hang tight. Tweeted it out on May 10th of 2022. 41,000 likes. Anthony, rate this tweet. The same as the previous tweet,
1: like what a piece of shit, right? Promising people <laughs> that he was going to be able to recover UST and everyone had their money and people lost billions of dollars. Like seriously, like when Do Kwon arrests, honestly, like what a, what, yeah. the, I, I, I'm not going to mince words here. Like him and SPF and, and the, the others of this cycle that have knowingly lost customers their money and created these, these bullshit things. And especially people like Do Kwon who had a massive ego and would dunk on everyone calling out anything wrong with UST or, or anything that, like um, bad about UST. Yeah, I mean, th- and the fact that they were so liked these tweets as well, it just speaks to how crazy the bull market got, and how people just didn't really give a shit about anything except making money. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the lesson from all of these people is that the most popular people in a bull market are not people you should be following. They're usually the ones who get washed out first, and we saw it this year. We saw them all get washed out. Uh, and yeah, maybe lessons for next next bull market people that are still around today.
0: Yeah, I did tweet out uh, uh, about what lessons did we learn during this last bear market. And it was like, oh, yeah, we don't listen to egotistical personalities. So I don't think Mm -hmm. we're going to fall for that again. I hope there's like a decent number of people who all learn these lessons. I'm not optimistic that there's like not another new lesson that we learn that we don't totally foresee. Um, But that was my take about that. All right, Anthony, to close it out, of course, we're going to do the very last meme of the week of the year of 2022. Are you ready for it? Yep. Here we go. It's Gary Gensler who's saying, come on in and talk to us. And then Sam Bankman-Fried saying, I did, several times. Uh, give us your takes. I mean, I've got to be careful with
1: what I say here because I'm dealing with uh, with uh, accusing people of things. But there is a lot of kind of evidence and a lot of proof uh, that Gary Gensler was, uh, I mean in bed with SPF and not treating him like a bad actor, actually inviting him in, treating him like a good actor, uh, getting ready or gearing up to give him preferential treatment. Uh, That's kind of coming. out. It's all alleged. I'm not saying it's proven or anything like that. Um, But I think Gary Gensler has done an absolutely terrible job as the SEC chair. He has not protected really anyone. He only cares about himself and his own career, which is evidenced by him going after celebrities like Kim Kardashian, instead of going after the actual scammers in crypto, the big ones. Um, So, so yeah, he did nothing to protect people from FD. FTX and, and SBF and on obviously FTX wasn't regulated in the US, uh, FTX US was but FTX was in the Bahamas but the reason it was was because they wouldn't provide a regulatory framework for FTX to operate within the US uh, and yeah I mean there's a
0: lot of takes on the SEC in general but yeah they, they've completely failed in their mandate in my eyes. Yeah and I've actually been talking to a number of securities lawyers in last weeks going down the uh, securities law SEC rabbit hole uh, and the both the two takes that I've gotten is that in order for crypto to get the regulation that we want, we're going to need a new administration. Uh, And so I'm going to put my uh, my daydreaming hat on and I'm going to say that because of this, because of the relationship between SBF, FTX, and Gary Gensler, as Gary Gensler was using SBF and FTX as like a playing card to elevate his position and his power, that hopefully is also the downfall of Gary Gensler as if this plays out and then we get a new administration in the sec as a result of that maybe i'm daydreaming but i see that as a potential possible path forward uh which would be extremely bullish Uh, But Mm -hmm. that is just absolutely mere speculation. Anthony, sadly, our time is going to have to come to an end because we have gone so far over time. But I have absolutely enjoyed this weekly roll up that we've done together. Thank you, of course, for always subbing in for when we need to get the AI, some software updates. If (laughs) y'all want more of Anthony, he puts out a video basically every single day, 30 minutes about what is going on in the Ethereum ecosystem. It is called The Daily Gway. You can find it on YouTube. I get it as a podcast. Anthony, talk a little bit more about The Daily Gway.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will I will say that if you're into Ethereum and really Ethereum alone and want to hear me say bullish things about Ethereum, then the Daily way is for you. Uh, please don't come to the Daily way expecting me to say nice things about other ecosystems. Uh, I think some people get the wrong idea sometimes. The Daily way is an Ethereum dedicated channel. It is not like Bankless, which tries to cover everything. It is definitely Ethereum and Ethereum alone. But if you're into that, if you are uh, all about Ethereum, then the Daily way I think, I believe, is the best resource for keeping up to date with everything happening in Ethereum. So yeah, and I would really appreciate it if you subscribed and watched my videos and gave me feedback if you think I'm doing things right or doing things wrong. Uh, but yeah, go, go check that out if you're into that stuff.
0: Yeah, and I of course have the Daily Guay in my ears at, at least a few times a week, at least a few times a mm-hmm. week. I do try and catch every single episode, but I definitely binge them for sure. Uh, Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. And also Bankless Nation, thank you for joining Bankless throughout all of these weekly rollups of the year. That was 52 out of 52 weeks that we've done a weekly rollup. And Anthony, thank you for joining me for, I think, two or three of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely been three, Mm -hmm. I think, or four, maybe four. But yeah, thanks for having me. This is always very fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Anthony, did you know that crypto is risky? You can lose what you put in, (laughs) but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It is not for everyone but we are glad you are with us on the bankless journey thanks a lot
1: oh thanks and also here's
0: a moment of zen bam hey hi uh so uh, i'm sbf uh founder and ceo of ftx
1: my accidental theft of our customers life savings to create a giant over leveraged ponzi slush fund for myself is a tragedy that should have never happened and to all those affected i want to say i am deeply sorry i'm sorry Ah, I'm sorry. Sorry. Oops. Sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm deeply sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Oopsie doopsie! Ladies and gentlemen, we got him.
0: Some breaking news in the case against disgraced crypto founder Sam Bateman fried He was just released on 250 million dollar bond.
1: Sorry.